November 30th, the words of Lehi. Uh, trying to figure out, this is a little bit of an interesting challenge that we figure out the last couple of weeks. What are we going to try and do before we take the holiday break and then restart again in, in January? Um, but I want to begin, now we're going to get to the, the words of, of Lehi. And I want you to turn, and we start just in uh, Genesis 47. So at the end of Genesis 47, and here's the parallel that we have with what we're about to, to start reading. We have, remember, all of uh, Israel ends up in Egypt. Uh, and in 27, Israel dwelled in the land of Egypt and in the country of Goshen. They have possessions, and Jacob lived in the land of uh, Egypt 17 years, and the whole age of Jacob was 147 years. And the time drew nigh that Israel, Jacob, must die. Uh, and he called his son Joseph and he said unto him, If I have found grace in thy sight, and watch what he does, it's an interesting thing. Uh, if I have found grace in thy sight, put, I pray thee, thy hand under my thigh and deal kindly and truly with me. Okay, stop. Why? What are, what are they doing? What's the idea of putting a hand under the thigh? Israel with uh, his son Joseph. Is what? No. It, it almost makes sense, wouldn't it? It's like an oath. A it is an oath. Mm -hmm. If you're going to perform a covenant, part of the covenant is that they place the hand underneath the thigh uh, because this is, in, in almost the way that you would have, you're going to covenant with your kids. It's kind of the most sacred part. If you're going to have progenitors, okay, uh, if you put your hand under the thigh, that's how they would actually perform an oath and a covenant. It, now we say, well, I'm going to put your hand on your heart and swear to me. Or in a court of law, we might put our hand on a Bible and swear. Then they would put the hand under the thigh and swear. It's the same thing. So it's a, it's an, it's a covenant. And in a sense, and if you mess this up, then cursed be your kids for four generations kind of thing. All right? So this is like the most powerful covenant you can make with a hand under the thumb. Yeah. Now, do they put it under their arm or are they doing it to the other person? The other person. Okay. If it doesn't fit the translation, it uses the word hand yeah. instead of thigh. So that's... I think both is true because even when Old Testaments go back, they can see that this was something that was done on a regular basis. There is a, there is a hand under the thigh. I, I know, I know, and it's, it's like again swearing on your kids, kind of thing. And he's going to say, "Put thy hand under thy thigh, deal kindly and truly with me." And what is it that he wants? Bury me not, I pray thee, in Egypt. But I will lie with my fathers. Thou shalt carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. And Joseph said, "I will do as thou hast said." 
And he said, swear unto me. And he swore unto him. Israel bowed himself upon the bed's head. So here we get this last, the dying of a prophet. And he's trying to take care of things at the end of his life. Now, I don't know if any of you have been there with, with uh, parents that are passing away and you're taking care of the last remaining wishes that they have before, you, before they die. Okay? Uh, when we have had those kind of experiences, uh, I remember with my, with my mother, it was a little bit uh, surreal when, when uh, she was dying of cancer and we, put, and, and we changed over to hospice, so we brought her home and we knew that she would die in her house. And we were a few weeks away from her death. And she called us all, all kids together. And she basically said, here's what I want at my funeral. I want, Kevin, I want you to speak. And I want you to do this. And, and, and here's the songs I want at my, sung at my funeral. I mean, just laid the whole thing out. And it was a, kind of a deathbed um, request. Okay? And, it's, and really kind of on the, the idea of a deathbed repentance... Or a deathbed confession, how does that stand up in court? Things done on a deathbed. It's legal. It's legal. Because why, why would that be legal as opposed to anywhere else? What's the assumption? The person. It's the last wishes. The person will tell the truth because he knows he's. Got nothing to lose at this point, so the idea is is that more of what we're going to get on the deathbed is going to be the most real, the most honest, and they're going to try and confessions and wishes and all of those things. This deathbed moment, okay, um, and and so that's kind of what we're getting in Genesis forty-seven. If we go over to forty-eight, now what's he? He's now going to pull the kids together and he's going to start doing what? Blessings. These are the blessings. The final <laughs> patriarchal blessings. Yeah. Going back to that last spot, we had a friend that just passed away and her wife, and she lived with her husband just before she passed away and she basically forget my new name. Wow, really? Don't forget my new name. <laughs> And, and Varney said, <laughs> What day? Okay. <laughs> there we go. And the Holy Ghost will bring all things to your remembrance, so we're going to count on that, all right? <laughs> By the way, this is one of the fascinating things. Going back to the, ver the veracity uh, of the Book of Mormon, this is, remember, we have Emma on her deathbed. And this is where her, her husband and, and, and Joseph Smith III are saying, okay, now, you're on your deathbed. What really happened with the, with the bringing forth of the Book of Mormon? And on her deathbed, she's saying, it's really true. No, he didn't have any other thing he was looking at other than the seer stone. It really is true. Couldn't he have snuck something in? No, he couldn't even write his own name. She's basically saying, at the time he translated the Book of Mormon, Joseph was an idiot. The, the Book of Mormon came by way of revelation. And, and, she, and, and she said that was, that was all true. And they just trying, kept trying to ask her questions. She said, no, it really is true. Okay. By the way, we have one other person that did a similar thing with the Book of Mormon. And that was 
David Whitmer, one of the three witnesses, just before his death, he signed out, he filled out an affidavit, and he said, I saw an angel with my own eyes. I held the plates with my own hands. It's true. And then do you know what one of his last wishes was? And put it on my headstone. And it is. It's on his headstone. I saw the plates. I saw an angel. These are deathbed. So anytime somebody's trying to say, well, the witnesses started to waver. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. To the point where I'm going to put it on my headstone and I'm going to make sure that this, in a court of law, if you wanted to bring in the testimony of Emma and David Whitmer and others, you could prove the Book of Mormon just legally in court. Just based on that. He's in Liberty, uh, Missouri. Liberty or Richmond? Richmond, I think. Okay, so here, so here in his final days, here is, here is Israel, and he's now going to do interesting things like Joseph brings him his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh. They were born unto thee. Uh, and he's going to say, well, I'm going to give, even though this is the Old Testament tradition, you know, it seems to be, there's a type here. I know Manasseh is the oldest, but I'm going to give the birthright blessing to Ephraim. And in fact, Joseph sets them up. Here's Ephraim, Manasseh, and Jacob, Israel, crosses his hand so that Ephraim gets the right hand blessing, the, the birthright blessing. Because it's always tradition of the younger son getting the birthright blessing. Okay? Then, all of what we're going to get then in 48, here are all of the, here are all of the uh, tribes that are going to come in. Uh, 49, and Reuben, here's who you are, and Simeon, and Levi. And, yeah? Would you like to expand on that a little bit? It's always a tradition for the younger son to get the birthright blessing. Uh, yeah, which actually is kind of important here. Uh, the, the, the importance of the birthright blessing is the birthright's son, got to be the son, gets what? Double. The double portion. I mean double portion of land and everything. Just because they're the oldest? What's the responsibility that goes with the double portion to the firstborn son who gets the birthright blessing? Got to take care of the family, the daughters, the mom, and all that. So they're going to be given an extra portion and then they're the ones that are going to kind of take the lead on the disposition of lands and things like that. So the birthright blessing is kind of an important deal by, in, in Israel. So, and Joseph is going to get it. How come Joseph got it? He wasn't the oldest. He was number 10 of 12. First of all, by wickedness, Reuben, yeah, but... And and Joseph and Joseph's mother was Rachel, kind of the birthright wife, his first wife, and the others came from Leah. So when Reuben, but he was still going to go with Reuben. When Reuben became wicked, then he's going to go to the first birthright son, who was Joseph, and then through him to Ephraim. Okay, again, the birthrightness, the blessings that flow in terms of this is going to become really important here when we get with Lehi, in terms of. Uh, inheritance of land and blessings and power that go to that birthright child are really kind of important. Okay. It kind of reminds me of kind of the prestigious looking callings in the church. 
that where much is given, much is required. Yeah, yeah. Those, I, I remember being, being in one ward and, and there, there was a, a brother that really, really wanted to be a bishop. And he was really kind of hoping that the next <laughs> bishop would be him, you know. And I, I remember sitting with the, the stake president and going, oh, he has no idea. <laughs> <laughs> Are you kidding? So that was like our two new bishops in Plano this morning who just kind of, who didn't sleep last night. Right, I would imagine. Okay. All right. So here come all these blessings, and he's now giving patriarchal blessings to these sons on his deathbed. Uh, Judah is the lion's wealth, and Zebulon shall dwell in the haven of the sea, and Issachar is kind of a strong guy. And Dan will judge his people, and, and Gad, Gad's 19, a troop will overcome him, and Asher and his bread will fall, shall be fat, and Nephali is a I mean, it's just... Here gives all these little blessings that we're getting little snippets of the patriarchal blessings that were given by Israel. Okay, so now Joseph is now this is kind of where I want to go because this is where this now is going to lead us to Levi. Joseph is a fruitful bough, uh, even a fruitful bough by a well, meaning the well is is uh, symbolic of Israel. The land of Israel. That's the well. That's, the, that's where the main water springs from. Okay? And whose branches run over the wall. So there's going to be part of the branches of Joseph that are going to go outside the well. Meaning where? Who are we talking about? Lehi's family. And they knew this. And they will reference this later in the Book of Mormon. We are the branch that was out, that ran over the well. Lehi, or Jacob saw our day, and Joseph saw our day and knew who we were. Okay? Archers have sorely grieved him and shot him and hated him, but his bow abode in strength. Um, the arms were made by hand, and even by the God of our Father, who shall help thee and shall bless thee. Blessings of peace that lieth in the blessing of the breast, the wound, blessing of the finance, anyway. So there, there's the blessing. This is what patriarchs do as they're passing away. They're going to give blessings to all of them. Now, so now with that in mind, let's now turn to Second Nephi one. Now it came to pass that I, Nephi, had spoken and of teaching my brethren. Our father Lehi began to speak many things of them. Uh, and what's about to happen is that Lehi is now dying. And he's now going to begin to give instructions and patriarchal blessings and the last prophesying to his tribes. Uh, and, and we have the 12 tribes of Israel. We're going to have the how many tribes of Lehi? Seven. So you kind of think of the seven tribes of Lehi, twelve tribes of Jacob, and he's going to give those blessings to these members of the tribe. Okay? Now, uh, and he's going to start with, who would he start with? 
Laman and Lemuel, right? To start with the older brothers. Uh, and he began to rehearse unto Laman and Lemuel how great the Lord had things had done for them. He spake to them concerning their rebellions, and he spake about the land of promise which they had obtained, how merciful the Lord had been in warning us that we should flee out of the land of Jerusalem, uh, because I've seen a vision in Jerusalem is destroyed. Uh, and had we remained in Jerusalem, we would have perished. Uh, now, let me give you some idea. Uh, again, if we're talking about the land of Jerusalem, and remember how Babylon then comes in kind of in a couple of ways. Nebuchadnezzar's going to send the first the, the first crew coming in that conquers Jerusalem, they're going to conquer Jerusalem, they're going to put Zedekiah on the throne, and then they're going to go off and fight against Egypt. And then it's when they come back that they level the city because they find out that Zedekiah was trying to suck up to the Egyptians. Okay, But look at what he does in the first, the first wave coming from Babylon into Jerusalem and I've linked it to Daniel 1, 3, and 4, so don't, don't worry about going there. We'll, we'll just bring this up. I just want you to see. And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain of the children of Israel and the king's seed and the princes. Look who he first takes to Babylon from Israel at the time of Lehi. Who, is he, who does he want to take? Children in whom there was no blemish, but well-favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science and such as had the ability in them to stand in the king's palace in whom they might teach the learning and tongues of the Chaldeans. Who, when Nebuchadnezzar is going to sweep through Jerusalem the first time, who's he taking? Who gets to go? Educated. The educated. Royalty. The skilled. The beautiful. The beautiful. Like I say, he's taking the cream of Jerusalem off. Okay, and he's going to haul them off here. Now, in a place like this, where does where does Lehi stand? Where does Nephi stand? In that same group. Yeah, so there's a chance that maybe Nephi might have been taken, that the family would have been separated, and Nephi, I don't know about Laman and Lemuel, maybe, but, but here, here's Nephi's going to be, he's big in stature, and he's smart, and he's a good learner, and he's probably a metallurgist. You know, he's just, he's, he's the kind of guy that Nebuchadnezzar would have hauled off to Babylon. What would he have done with Lehi? Probably kill him. If he didn't kill him before, he would have killed him later. He, they left Jeremiah just so that Jeremiah could testify. Everybody else is being wiped out and slaughtered. So, there's a, so the family wouldn't have stayed together. Nephi would have been taken off. Lehi probably would have been killed. So knowing that, if we go back to when, in verse 3, when Lehi saying. How merciful the Lord has been in warning us that we should flee out of Jerusalem. <laughs> Pretty merciful. Now, let me just mention one other thing about mercy because it's going to tie in big time about what we're going to talk about today and next week. 
and and we'll and it's perfect that we're doing this right around Thanksgiving time, because if we're if the Lord is going to if anybody is extending mercy to us, mercy is granted to who? Who gets mercy? Those who don't earn it. Those that what? Don't earn it. Those that don't earn it. Mercy is blessings and things that are given to those that don't deserve it. We are un- if, it, if, if we get what we earn, it's not mercy. It's just a wage. But if we get what we didn't earn, that's mercy. So in essence, when he's saying, look how merciful God has been to us, because he could have just left us, we didn't earn the blessing that we're getting. Layman and Lemuel. I've seen a vision. I know that Jerusalem is destroyed. Uh, they've been perished. Is that a word? They have been perished. But he said, notwithstanding our afflictions, we have obtained a land of promise. A land which is choice above all other lands. A land which the Lord hath covenanted with me should be a land for the inheritance of my seed. Now, let's let's stop here. Oh, therefore, seven. So this land is consecrated unto him whom he shall bring. Now, if we back up here. Kevin, what's the difference between a blessing and mercy? Ooh. (coughs) Let's see. Let's see. Watch oh, it down. Okay, come on. Yours. <laughs> 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 we, we, were, we were in, we were in uh, gospel doctrine the other day when an Amber Alert went off. Oh. <laughs> And everybody, they get turned off. And somebody else will do it start off. Uh, I don't know whose idea that was. Okay, so what is the difference between blessing and mercy? That's a, that's a really good question. Are you talking about the blessings that Lehi's giving? Or just blessings in general? In general, because I thought blessings were predicated on keeping the commandments. Uh, hang on to that. We're going to go there. Per- that's a perfect setup for where we're going. Thank you. Uh, I'll give you $5 later. <laughs> Keep in mind, mercy is something that they are things that are given to us that we didn't earn, didn't deserve. Okay? Now, when for... For Lehi, he says, notwithstanding our afflictions, we have obtained a land of promise, a land which is choice above all other lands. And this, the receiving of this land to the family of Lehi was a, something they earned? No. This was a merciful act. Could they have earned, could they have done enough in this life no. to have earned the land of promise they got? No. 
That's why if we pull back, because I need you to see this through our, our, the lens of our eyes. Because if we start with the idea of the mercy that we, we receive. At, at uh, Thanksgiving, we're talking about gratitude. And gratitude is we're grateful for the things that we have received that we didn't earn. And, and so as I, as I was uh, at my grandson's baptism on Saturday morning... And we, he, he was baptized. And then, and then we set up a little chair. And we all gathered around his brethren. And, and, we, and we gave him what? The gift of the Holy Ghost, right? The gift. Isn't it interesting? We're going to receive the Holy Ghost based on our merit? No, that's a gift. What other gifts do we have in the church? Gift of? Oh, so so what he's requiring of us. Let, let, let me take a step back. Here's here's. I was asked to give the talk at my grandson's <coughs> baptism, and and basically, and here's the here's the thirty second version. I said, uh, Grandma and I were just at a castle, up high on an island, way up on a hill, and as you and as you walked. Up the, the, the pathway to the gate, there were two lions up on top there. It's called the Lion's Gate. And the only people that get to come into the castle, and I had my grandson's attention at this point because we're talking about castles <laughs> and knights and things like that. I said, first of all, the king has to give you permission to come in, but permission to come in through the Lion's Gate was that you would, in return for being able to come into the castle and be safe from all the bad people, you also had to be willing to fight and protect and keep safe the people in the village and the people around. That's what a knight does. A knight is going to put on armor and protect. And you've got to be willing to do that. And you have to walk through the lion's gate to see the king, to become a knight, so, so that you, and, but you've got to promise you'll protect. And, and then I, I kind of patted the, the curtain leading to the baptismal font. I said, here's the lion's gate. <laughs> You're about to walk through the gate and you have a king. And it's Heavenly Father. And he has responsibilities that you've got to promise to do. In essence, you're going to covenant. You're going to make promises. I will protect. I will keep the commandments. I will do the things that I'm supposed to. Not really based on things of the past, but what I'm now promising to covenant to do in the future. I could have added, and then every Sunday you re-promise that I will keep those promises. I will protect. I will do all those kind of things. As we walk through the, we each walk through the lion's gate. Okay? Now, so each one of us are receiving gifts. The gift of the Holy Ghost. The gift of... Repentance, which opens the gate. To, and so we're, we're just supposed to have a broken heart and a contrite spirit. And that walks us through what gate? Then what gift do we get? Forgiveness. Forgiveness based on the greatest gift of all, the atonement. And it's interesting, we're going to talk about the patriarchal blessings and then we're about to get two massive, wonderful discourses on the atonement. Because what is the land of promise we're talking about here? 
Yeah, this is this land of I received put us in this frame of mind. We're going to say, notwithstanding my sins, notwithstanding my afflictions, we have obtained a land of promise. We have obtained what? The promise of eternal life. We we've been you know this is a kingdom to quote Peter a kingdom of princes and princesses. Kings and queens. And we've obtained the promise of this land of promise that is out there for us. A land which the Lord hath covenanted with me to be our land, to be our inheritance. Do we have an inheritance in Zion? Yeah, we do. And it's choice above all other lands. Yea, the Lord hath covenanted this land with me and to my children forever. Not based on our mercy, or not based on our merits, but based on our His mercy. And all He's requiring from us is a broken heart and a contrite spirit and a promise and a covenant to fight the battles of Zion. Fight for the souls of men. Does that make sense? Okay. And all those... And, and, and all, by the way, so is this going to be like a close shot? We got this land and it's for our people only and this is the only people that are ever going to get this really choice land is going to be my seed. Who else gets this land? Look, look at the last verse of 5. Anyone the Lord brings. And also all those who? Who the Lord brings to this place. Out of the countries by the hand of the Lord. The people, anybody else that the Lord is going to bring to this promised land also gets all of the blessings promised to my family. Isn't that cool? So it's not a close shot. If, if someone said to you right now, do you believe only Mormons go to heaven? I think, this Mormon heaven of yours, only Mormons going to be there? How would you answer that? Sister Varney, how would you answer that? Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, do we believe we're going to be the only ones in heaven? No. I, I, I know. Yeah. Yeah, and, and is that is that part of describing? So, in the celestial kingdom, is it only going to be Mormons? Well, yeah, it will be. But if you're talking about, do we believe that only Mormons will be in heaven? No, we don't. We really don't. Okay. So anybody else that he's going to bring, and this land is consecrated unto him who he shall bring. Yeah. Okay, so here's a fun joke. It's one about people going to heaven. Yeah. And as they come into the, somebody comes into the earthquake, they look over and they see a group of Protestants and they're all partying, and they see a group of Baptists and they're all partying, and they see... Then they see this big wall that you can't see over. And, and, and the person who's going through the pearly gate says, Who's in there? Oh, that's the Mormons. They think they're the only ones here. Yeah, I know. And there's that kind of that belief that we're going to say, You know, that's why we're judging everybody else. I'm going to heaven and you're not. You know, I get it. I know. I've heard that say, also done with Baptists. Oh, okay. 
Yeah, in, in, a, in a liquor store. <laughs> yeah, don't tell them. They think you're the only ones here. Okay, yeah. Well, Monte Patterson and the book once wrote, I think, a lot of Christians are more Christian than a lot of Mormons are. That's true. And we've got Mormons running around that are kind of the part of the, the uh, great abominable church. If you're going to partake of those that belief system, just being a member of the church doesn't protect you from being sucked into all of that way of thinking, that philosophy. Yeah, I know. Important question, isn't it? It is. Okay, now, here's the problem. Wherefore I, Lehi, have obtained a promise... Laman and Lemuel, that inasmuch as those who the Lord God shall bring out to the land of Jerusalem shall keep his commandments, uh, they shall prosper upon the face of the land, they shall be kept from all other nations, that they may possess this land unto themselves. And if it so be that they shall keep his commandments, they shall be blessed upon the face of this land, and there shall be none to molest them or take away the land of their inheritance, and they shall dwell safely forever. Well, that's quite a promise. Now, I kind of I put this together. So apparently, this is a choice land. So here, here is our here's our history lesson for today. I just went out and I looked to see what countries out there. Uh, what percentage of the country has Roman Catholic influence? In other words, what percentage of the country is Catholic? Okay? There it is. The darker the blue, the more Catholic it is. Okay? See it? All right, now. Then I, then I went back and I said, you know, because... If Lehi is saying, whoever is brought to this land won't be molested. It will be protected. And he says, from all other countries. Okay? So as I went and looked, we've had three uh, major um, empires over, over the world history. Much of my ones, but here's the three major. Here's the Greeks. Here's the Greek Empire. Okay? Were they pretty much dominated? This Hellenistic influence of the Greeks, uh, the power that emanated from Athens. Look at where they conquered. Okay? Who replaced the Greeks? Yes, here comes the Roman Empire. There's the Roman Empire. Still all around kind of the, the Mediterranean. Okay? Who knocked, who knocked the Romans off the, the top of the hill? Yeah, the Byzantines and then the Ottomans. The Turks. Byzantine. Yeah, is it Byzantine or Byzantine? Yeah. Um, I always thought it was Byzantine. Yeah. So, so there, is, there is the Turkish... Uh, Empire emanating from Istanbul. Okay? Now, 
One of the things that happened with the Spanish conquest, as they came in among the Incas and the Aztecs and the Mayans and everything, that they not only did they conquer and scatter those people, but they also brought with them religion. They brought with them what? Catholicism. Okay? Now, one of the things that Lehi is going to say, this land will remain protected and unmolested as long as they worship the God of this world, who is? Jesus Christ. Anywhere you go in a Catholic church, what are you going to see in the church? Crucifix. You're going to see Jesus Christ. How many places do you see on here where you want, where you see a Catholic nation being brought under subjection by a, a, an invading empire? All three of these major empires, none of which were Christian. One of the now, so one of the things I guess I'm proposing here is that we ought to get, be able to give thanks to the Catholics that everywhere that they brought Catholicism to and a belief in Jesus Christ, they, they taught the people to worship the God of this land, who was Jesus Christ. And, and I'm going to propose to you, and it's just my own suggestion as I've kind of done my own little amateur history thing here, that the influence of the Catholic Church may also brought them under, the, under Lehi's the promise made to Lehi that they wouldn't be brought under subjection by other lands. Is that, is, that, is that a stretch? Am I jumping too far? I just find it fascinating when I started actually looking where the empires fell. Now the water helped, right? But if they were going to be brought under subjection, the Mediterranean didn't stop them. They could have sailed across and, and brought but they didn't. Okay? Yeah. Well, the Savior does fight your battles if you believe in Him and have faith in Him. So that would make sense no matter what religion you are. If you're <coughs> focused on the Savior, He'll fight your battles. Right. And, and He's going to say that those are going to be brought to this land of, uh, this land of promise. Uh, they're going to be protected. <coughs> Now, here's, the, here's where we worry about a little bit. But the, when the, the time cometh that they shall dwindle in unbelief, meaning the people on this land. By the way, which land are we talking about? What did Joseph Smith say was Zion? North and South America. If the time comes that the people on this land dwindle in unbelief after they've received so great blessings, having a knowledge of the creation having been given the commandments from the beginning, having been brought by His infinite goodness into this precious land, if the time will come, they reject the Holy One of Israel, the true Messiah, their Redeemer. Behold, the judgments of Him that is just shall rest upon them. Yea, I will bring other nations unto them, and He will give unto them power. They will take away the lands of their possession. He will cause them to be scattered and smitten. Now, we did have one element of that with the, the, the Spanish conquest, right? But the Spanish conquest then brought with them Christianity. Now, let's 
Yeah. It's interesting that it says uh, when the time cometh. Yes, it does, doesn't it? When the time cometh that they shall dwindle in unbelief. By the way, who shall dwindle in unbelief? Who's who's dwindling? Yeah, and before us. Now remember, who, who's he who's he speaking to? Who's Lehi speaking to? Laman and Lemuel. Who is he saying will dwindle in unbelief? Their descendants. For a, a leader. Yeah. Yeah, they do, don't they? And there's still a thirst there in this land as I watched all these all these people that came out. Isn't that true? But he's saying there will be a time when they shall dwindle in unbelief, and that's going to be the children of Laman and Lemuel, and then also the Nephites that then get conquered because of their own unbelief. Okay, What happens to a land of promise when people dwindle in unbelief and they no longer worship the God of this land? Look at what he said. Verse 29. When that, when that happens, go all the way down here to 29, he's going to say... If Laman and Lemuel, you will not hearken unto him and you break the commandments, I will do what? I will take away my first blessing. Now traditionally then, that first blessing then is going to go, where did it go with, um, where did it go with Jacob, Israel? When Reuben broke the, com- the covenant, who did it go to? Joseph, and then through Joseph to who? Ephraim. That this that, that this land that this land of possession, this inheritance, this great place will then go to those with broken heart, contrite spirits, who are keeping the commandments, not enough to ever earn it, but to receive the mercy because they love the Lord. Who is it going to go? The first blessing will go from Laman and Lemuel to. Nephi, and then at what point, then we get to uh, 400 AD, and what happens to Nephi's seed? It's gone. So then where does that first blessing then go? Back to the Lamanites. No, where did it go with Jacob? Who gets the blessing ultimately? Ephraim. Ephraim. (coughs) It goes to Ephraim. Laban and Lemuel abdicated, Nephi people abdicated, who does the blessing go to? Ephraim. That's us. That's why I've mentioned in here before that Wilford Woodruff taught and believed that that those 12 oxen underneath the baptismal font, certainly they they represent the, the 12 tribes, but more particularly, Wilford Woodruff said they represent one tribe. Ephraim. With the responsibility now, the the covenant to go to the four corners of the earth, to go from this spot out in four directions. And the and Ephraim's symbol was the bull. In a sense, to kind of gather everybody between his horns. If, if you will. 
Okay? So, if you won't hearken, I'll take up my first blessing. So, Lady Lemuel, you will lose your first blessing. Which, by the way, by the way, by the way, thousand years later, what were the Lamanites still upset about? What, what, how would they describe the Nephites? They took away their land. They took away their birthright. They were robbers. The ne- Remember, all the way through, the Nephites are robbers. He said, what are, where are you going? Uh, uh, Lamoni's father says to Lamoni and, and Ammon, where are you going with the son of a robber? What did he steal? Birthright. Because they believed the lie that Laman and Lemuel told that passed through the generations that the Nephites stole the birthright of land, of kingship. And the reality was they, they lost it by their disobedience. It's amazing how powerful a lie is. Kevin? Yeah? And how powerful misinterpretations are, uh, which is one of the reasons that the internet is such a place for fodder. Yeah, that that lie can gain steam. Um, yeah. Okay. How are we doing so far? We heavy swimming? Heavy lifting? Okay. Shall we get heavier? Okay, let's do that. Okay. Yeah. Except we're not going to sink. I won't let that happen. Now, um, yeah, okay, we're, we're where I thought we would be time-wise. Um, if we were going to take um, the most powerful, important chapters in all of the Book of Mormon, there's a bunch of them. But if you're going to take, especially when you take a look at the visit of the Savior and what he taught to the Nephites, but if you're going to take the chapters that, that drive home the core purpose of the entire Book of Mormon, that are exactly what the Book of Mormon meant to teach to people then and now, I believe that 2 Nephi 2 and its companion chapter, 2 Nephi 9, puts together a, a kind of a double, uh, a duly armed sermon that, that is the most powerful, core, central piece of the Book of Mormon and of everything that we believe in the church. That's why as I was taking a look at this, I wanted to be able to have time to take, start it today, finish it next week. Uh, because what we're going to get is what Lehi taught to Jacob about the book about the atonement and then what Jacob taught his people about the atonement. So we're going to get to Jacob and then from Jacob in 2 and then in 9. And the two, you kind of read those. If you read those together, you get the full power of what he's trying to say. Alright. So, uh, let's see. I, Jacob, speak on... Uh, okay. And now Jacob. I speak unto you. And now... Uh, I find it fascinating too that Lehi, he's going to have to call repentance to Laman and Lemuel. Now he has a righteous son, Jacob, and he's going to now teach him the core principles of the gospel that he couldn't teach to Laman and Lemuel. He was just working on repentance with those guys. With Jacob, now you understand, now I can teach you some of the core doctrines. 
Jacob, I speak unto you. Thou art my firstborn, interesting word, in the days of tribulation in the wilderness. Nevertheless, Jacob, my firstborn in the wilderness, thou knowest the greatness of God. Thou knowest the greatness of God. He shall, and I, and I love this phrase, he shall consecrate thy, thy afflictions for thy gain. Okay, take a step back from here. Put that in different words. If you're going to say, you're going to consecrate your afflictions for gain, what is he really saying? One of the results will be that you will be stronger. What else? To make holy. Yes. Now what he's also saying is, and I won't shelter you from afflictions. Right? He's really saying, there will be afflictions. But I will take your afflictions and I will consecrate them for your gain. Again, we look at the ref like the refinement of gold. If you're going to refine gold or silver, what are you going to do? Heat it up. Heat it up and remove the impurities. I won't shelter you from afflictions. There will be afflictions. And by the way, don't beat yourself up when there are afflictions. <laughs> Thinking that it was due to your, <coughs> your being... Um, uh, unworthy. The worthy are going to be given afflictions. But I will take those afflictions, I will consecrate them, I will make them holy for your gain. That's what the goodness of God is. How many people out there are, though, are saying, I can't believe in a God that would allow wars and injustices and all the cruel things that happen to kids and all of those kind of things that don't get this simple concept. That God would not shelter us from... A, why wouldn't He shelter us from afflictions? That would seem like a loving act, right? It's how we learn. It's how we learn. So if I take away your afflictions, I also take away your learning. I take away your growth. And I love you enough to help you grow. Yeah, but what, couldn't I have like a little less refining? <laughs> couldn't, I, couldn't I be sheltered just a bit? We pray for rain, we pray for rain, and we pray for rain. And then we get like 12 inches in about three days. And then complain about it, yes. Okay, never the, wherefore, Jacob, verse 3, thy soul shall be blessed, thou shalt dwell with safety. Wherefore, I know, interesting phrase, I know that thou art redeemed. Now, stop for a second. Cover this up. Let's say, I want you to picture a scenario. And, and let's say uh, that let, let's let's say that I have President Jones here, and President Jones is actually sitting in court because he decided to steal a couple of candy bars. 
out of a store. He just has wanton hands and he really likes Snickers. Okay, and the police bring him into court and he calls me as his attorney. Yeah, now we're a little worried about him. Yeah. Okay. And, and can you imagine if I came into court and President Jones is sitting there and I said, Your Honor, I understand we both kind of get that he has this Snickers addiction. And yeah, I kind of took the Snickers. But Judge, I would like you to set him free. And I want, and I'll tell you why I want him to set him free. I'm a really good attorney. In fact, I'm so good an attorney, I never lose. Ever. I have won 100% of my cases. I am so great an attorney, I want you to let him go, not because he is guilty or innocent, but I want you to let him go because I'm a great attorney. How well would that fly? <laughs> Don't let him go based on his merits. Let him go based on my merits. Because I'm such a great attorney. Okay? Would that fly? Now, look at... Look at verse 3. Wherefore I know that thou art redeemed. Why? Because of the righteousness of Jacob? No. Because of the righteousness of the Savior. The Redeemer. Let him go not based on his merits. Let him go based on God's, Jesus' merits. In, in a nutshell, there's the atonement. We're not going to make it based on our merits. Now, we're going to talk in a second about judges and consequences to our actions. But we have to understand, at its core, what the atonement is saying and what, what you're going to hear Jacob say over and over is going to try and drive home. But look at verse 4. Thou hast beheld in his youth, in thy youth, his, his glory. Therefore thou art blessed, even as they unto whom he shall minister in the flesh, when he comes in the meridian of time. For the Spirit is the same yesterday, today, and forever. This atonement, this blessing, is the same in the time of Adam as it is at the time when Jesus uh, is in Jerusalem and in 2015. His spirit is the same. It works the same way. Then look at what he's going to say about salvation. Then the way is prepared from the fall of man and salvation is free. Salvation is free. Now, this is Lehi talking to Jacob. In chapter 9, Jacob will repeat this. 
And he's going to mix in Isaiah, 2 Nephi 9.50, that I put above verse 4. You can see that. Come, my brethren, says Jacob, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters. He that hath no money, come and buy and eat. Okay, stop for a second. Uh, in, the, in the old days, if, if, if we're going to, uh, what does it mean to barter? Barter means I, I have some corn, you, you have some meat, I'm going to trade my corn for your meat. Okay. Now, as we became more sophisticated, we created money. And what's the purpose of money? To take out the bartering. It's kind of a, uh, I'm I'm going to exchange my corn for some money. I'm going to sell it and get some money. Then I can take this money, becomes a medium of exchange. I can come over here and buy the meat. So, So in a sense, money is something that enables me to get the things that I need. It's, it's, it's a medium of exchange. Now, if I have, if I, how do I get money? I can steal it. But most likely, my money I'm going to get through work, energy, effort. That gives me a certain amount of this, this medium of exchange that I can then go out and I can purchase the things that I really want. Now, last time I checked, it's a big world. Last time I checked, we can kind of have anything in this world, right? For money? Last time I checked? Which means you can purchase an awful lot of stuff. You can purchase meat and corn. You can also purchase cars and houses. Kingdoms. How about, can you buy drugs? Can you, can you buy pornography? Uh, can you buy all, can you buy, can you buy somebody that will kill a family member? Yes. You can buy power. I can use money to purchase power to give me control over the things that I really want. Anything is available to me. If I have, if I put in, somehow I've obtained this medium of money to purchase stuff. Now, and the person with the most money can buy the most stuff. That's how the economy of the world works. Yeah. And the more money I have, the more that I try to obtain this, the more stuff I can obtain. And that is to bring me happiness. Remember Laban and Lemuel in, in the wilderness? And they're saying, we're, we're so upset that we're out here in the wilderness, we could have stayed in Jerusalem and enjoyed our inheritances. And then they says, and then we would be happy. Because we'd have our stuff. Money comes through our effort to obtain it so that we can then purchase the things that we want. And he's going to say, Come, brethren, everyone that thirsteth, come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come, buy, and eat. How many times do we have people, though, in this church that try and equate money with righteousness? That the medium of exchange is, of, is not money, but what if the medium of exchange is my uh, 
uh, attendance at church, or it's the things that I've done, or the time that I put into my calling. What if my medium of exchange is my ancestry? I inherited a lot of money. I inherited my Mormonism. I have in my bag seven generations of Mormons. Therefore, I'm richer than you. I can, I can spend this on whatever I want to spend. That's my medium of exchange. What if it's my, and again, what if it's my righteousness? Dang it, I am at church every single week. I do my visiting teaching. That's my money. That should buy me what? Perfect children. I have in my bag 20 years of nurse, being in the nursery. <laughs> I know, I'm stretching now. That's right. <laughs> Shouldn't that buy me something? Yeah, I, I would think so. <laughs> nice pet itself. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Ah. So, and see, that's where we're going to go. Because because we're about we're going to find out even in a minute. Because then we say, okay, that is salvation, and everybody's going to be resurrected, so every, all dogs go to heaven, right? And even Hitler ends up in the celestial kingdom. So salvation is free, but exaltation, I've earned that. See, we're going to want to we're going to want to extend this one step farther. I have, I, dang it, I, did I earn it? Did I go to the temple? Did, was I there? Did I do it? I, I earned this. Hang on to that thought, because we're going to really kind of go after that more next week. Yeah. We earn the things, I mean, the things we do earn us qualifying things. It's the change of the heart that is, that's going to get us to exaltation. What, what is the difference between earning and qualifying? Things that we do. And based on, but it's also based on our merits. I did it. And I, and I really didn't need Jesus for this because I earned it. I really only need it when I can't do any more and he makes up the difference. That, the, the law of the gap that is such a lie. Yeah. Because there, there we go. I, I earned it. That's why I say we can, we can start going back and say I know I earn not just salvation, but I have seven generations of pioneer ancestry. That should get me in. That gets me a backseat pass to the to the great concerts. That gets me a front row seat at conference. That gets me salvation and it gets me exaltation. I'm a Hinkley, dang it. <laughs> That should make something. I earned it. Okay, I didn't earn it, but he earned it, and I'm his, like, I'm... okay, maybe I didn't earn it. <laughs> I like that quote in the uh, way Maxwell's book, Notwithstanding My Witness, and it goes on to yeah. go on to five or six pages describing Jesus, and it says, where do we stand?
We, yeah, it, it doesn't matter what we think we have in our bag. What we think our money and exchange is. Salvation, and I'm going to add exaltation, is free. Now, there are going to be certain things that you have to qualify. You're going to have to walk through the lion's gate. That doesn't mean that I earned it. It simply meant that I did certain things that qualified, and that qualification is going to be the broken heart and the contrite spirit. And, but, but we're going to find out that keeping the, and obeying the commandments has the effect of helping us earn heaven. No, keeping the commandments has the effect of changing who we are. Changing essentially what we have become. And then we and then we will have the kind of bodies that will he will recognize. Yeah. Right, yeah. There is this process then, this refining. That's why he started off by talking about, I know that you've been redeemed because of the merits of your Redeemer. And you're going to go through tribulations, and the tribulations are the part that refines you. Uh, because that redemption cometh in and through the Holy Messiah, for He is full of grace. We could say mercy. And truth. Behold, he offers himself a sacrifice for sin to answer the ends of the law. The ends of what, what, the ends of the law. What's that? First of all, there's there's two things there: the ends and the law. Uh, let, let me take it back to front. The ends of the law. What law are we talking about? There's actually two laws, and I think and I think they they run parallel. What law are we talking about? First of all, it's the law of Moses, right? Remember, this is still Lehi talking to Jacob. They are still, we talk about Laman and Lemuel being Deuteronomist, but remember that Nephi and, and Jacob and Lehi kept the law of Moses. They just understood the purpose of where the law of Moses was to take them. For Laman and Lemuel, the law of Moses was the end in and of itself. That salvation would come through their, didn't we keep the law of Moses? Let us in. That's, that's our money of exchange. Our, our salvation is we kept the law of Moses. So, but there is a sense there that says, uh, he answers the, the ends, all the symbolism and everything of the law of Moses. What other law are we talking about though? He's going to answer the ends of what law? Close. Justice. Justice. He's going to answer the ends of justice that requires that only unclean things can enter into the kingdom. No one. No one. No one. Any anything. Yes. Exactly. Justice. So that no unclean thing can enter into heaven. Right. And that you're going to have to be cleansed. So he's going to, an so he's going to answer the ends of justice the ends meaning every the end, as far as you can go, in any direction, every little big thing 
the totality of it, the ends of justice. No matter what might justice might require, justice, uh, justice will be satisfied. We, we have our challenges, and um, they can help us grow, but it's our choice how we handle our challenges. Whether we learn the things Heavenly Father wants us to learn from our challenges and whether we go, go through it with uh, a Christ-like attitude and that it changes us. It changes us. Yeah, again, the purpose of keeping the commandments, we're going to talk about uh, next week, we're going to talk about one of the purposes of keeping the commandments is that it gives us the freedom to act. It gives us freedom to choose. When we don't, <coughs> one of the consequences are that it takes away our freedom to choose. We are acted upon. Okay? All right. Wherefore, how great is the importance to make these things known unto who? The inhabitants of the earth. Who has that responsibility? Specifically, who? Ephraim has this responsibility. We now have the birthright and the responsibility and the covenants and the duty as the successors to these uh, charges that we have that walk through the lion's gate. That we may, that they may know there is no flesh that can dwell in the presence of God save it through, be through the merits and mercy and grace of the Holy Messiah. Not through themselves. Who layeth down his life according to the flesh and taketh again by the power of the Spirit that he may bring to pass the resurrection of the dead that being first shall raise. Uh, now, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna stop here because uh, because next week I'd like to. So, so here's your here's your research topic coming up because he's going to talk about an opposition in all things, and now we're going to begin to get this. We understand that salvation is free. And that we're saved through the mercy of the Savior, not through our own merits. But now we're going to start talking about a judgment that's coming. And we're going to talk about the consequences of our actions. That there seems to be some effect in the things that we do. And what we have to do to be able to qualify. And that there's going to be an opposition. And, and he's going to talk about this opposition. And he's going to go back to... Uh, Adam and Eve, and then he's going to, and, and then we're going to get that Adam fell that men might be, and they're free according to the flesh. Okay, so your responsibility. Get you ready for next week. Start with uh, verse eleven, and and work your way from there. Because we're going to next week. I want to do uh, starting from verse eleven, and then I want to hop over to Second Nephi nine. And we're going to tie the, the two together to kind of finish this semester uh, on a high. Because I just, we can't, now, l l let me just mention one last thing. Uh, we talk about, Nephi started, or Lehi started all this. Thou knowest, verse 2, the greatness of God. 
It's easy, I think, in our in our weekly attendance at church and our reading and stuff to lose sight of the greatness of God and the power of the atonement. We use the word atonement so often it almost begins to be trite. We just start we start losing track of it. And and it's so common. And and yet I had a uh, I had a brother in my office not too long ago uh, who's going through uh, a very painful excommunication. And, and the struggle that he's having and his wife and just a very heartfelt, painful kind of thing. And about halfway through our session, I, I stopped him and I said, how are you feeling about the atonement these days? And he goes, oh, I get it. Uh, for the, I don't know if I've ever gotten it like this. I now understand in a way that I never understood how powerful that is. And I said, one of the blessings that will come from this entire process as you repent and you get back into full fellowship with the church is that you're going to understand more powerfully the atonement and... I would love at some point to have you teaching a group of young men somewhere and have you teach them about the atonement. Because I said, you're going to get it. You understand it. I believe the atonement and the power of the Savior and the greatness of God is, is enhanced so much by when we have to really rely on Him. And we are more likely to rely on Him during our tribulations. Sometimes we'll forget. Things are going well. But come that part of that refining that comes to us is the refining that comes in tribulation and the reaching out when no one else is there and we find out that He is there. And we find out that it's not based on our worthiness or our merits. It's based on His incredible mercy, grace, and salvation to us the sinner. I pray that in this season of gratitude that we can hold on to that. And I leave that with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Our dear Heavenly Father, we are so grateful to you for all the many blessings in our lives. We're especially grateful for the gospel. We're thankful that we could gather here this morning and talk about the atonement, talk about the grace of Jesus Christ and how much we need it in our lives. We're thankful for him and his sacrifice and his love. We ask the Heavenly Father that we can be blessed with the strength and the courage to reach out to him, to rely on him more, to let him bless us and let him carry us, to face the challenges that we have. We want to be with us today, and we say these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Amen. Amen.